E-S-N-Y. Chip Murphy, Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Checking out Duke, Michigan State. Yeah, we and I uh, love the the Stanford game was great earlier. Stanford, North Carolina. It was. It was yeah. definitely definitely went down to the wire. I know a mm-hmm. lot of people are talking about Sire Williams. Yeah. North Carolina actually didn't look that bad um, for not having maybe you know anybody in the top ten or twelve, but I know that Dayron Sharp kid is is pretty good. Well, they look better than they looked last year. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, they couldn't look much much worse than they did last year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, so, uh, we're continuing with our NBA A through Z series tonight. Uh, we are discussing the Phoenix Suns, who had probably one of the best off-seasons in the NBA. Um, to help us break that down, the draft, um, the outlook for the 2020-21 season, uh, we are very excited to have on uh, an editor for the Step Back, Gerald Bourget. Gerald, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So uh, I think the first place I want to start is, uh, you know, Chris Paul's, the, the trade for Chris Paul. Um, anyone that watched the NBA last year and, and, and specifically prior to the season did not think that OKC was going to be as, as good as they were. So I, I think adding probably one of the most impactful players in regards to winning is, is a huge upgrade. Um, what does this do to boost the development of a young team that ended the season on a high note, winning all eight games in the bubble? Uh, did not make the playoffs, but the, you know, the, the future seems pretty bright, or at least the immediate future. What is your kind of initial reaction when the Suns trade for Chris Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good move for the Suns on multiple fronts. Um, On the court, we saw last year what happens when you give Devin Booker an actual point guard and Ricky Rubio, who was a very underrated piece of their success last year, just as a guy who can run the offense, who can dribble penetrate, and who can give Devin Booker easier looks. Because for the last two or three years before that, he didn't have a starting caliber point guard on his roster. Like he was the best point guard on the roster for a couple of years. Um, and Rubio really helped him, you know, tap into the most efficient season of his career to this point. Um, and it wound up being an all-star year for Booker. So if Rubio is a starting caliber guard, you know, he's probably replacement level an average guard, maybe slightly above average. If you upgrade from Rubio to Chris Paul, a guy who can also just devastate opponents, from the mid range who can create his own shot, who can make life easier for everyone else. That's a really big, important adjustment. And then off the court, I think it just shows that this front office is not going to be complacent. They're not going to, you know, just wait for these youngsters to grow up. 
they're going to give Devin Booker the pieces he needs to start competing because they've already wasted the first three to four years of his career to this point. Um, the guy entering his fifth season, that was his fifth head coach, his second GM, and he had played with already over 70 teammates in his first five years. So wow. that's just insane. Um, and, and I think that this is the kind of move along with the other moves that they made that signals like we're ready to compete now. We're sorry for wasting so much of your time, but we're ready to do it now because we realize the clock is ticking, especially when you look around the league. So many of these stars that wind up getting disgruntled and leaving for somewhere else so that they can compete for titles. The Suns don't want that to happen. Devin Booker loves Phoenix, but um, this is a big time move that gives him the best player he's ever played alongside with in his career. So um, it, it's a big move for him and, and for the rest of the roster too, because these youngsters, that mental toughness, the way that Chris Paul demands excellence out of his teammates, that's going to rub off on everybody. Yeah. I, I think um, that I think, Speaking of Booker and, and how he'll be affected by um, Chris Paul, I think that's, um, you know, it, there, there's definitely an immediate impact there as, as one of the youngest and brightest stars in the NBA. But even in just looking at his stats from last year, which were super impressive, I mean, almost a 27-point um, scorer a game. I think it was about six and a half rebounds, a little over four assists. You know, the Suns have a, a bevy of young talent. DeAndre Ayton, Macal Bridges, Cam Johnson. I think everyone will benefit from Chris Paul being on the team, but who do you think will make the biggest jump statistically? Uh, I think maybe in terms of uh, efficiency and, and just um, having his production turn into more wins, Booker's going to get maybe the, the biggest impact, but who do you think um, maybe kind of as some of the ancillary players will have the biggest statistical jump? kind of being as a result of sharing the floor with Chris Paul? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of candidates. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton is another guy that's going to be, you know, this is kind of a make or break moment for him. This is like gut check time because Ayton has natural talent and he's actually gotten a lot better on the defensive end than a lot of people were expecting. Um, so the strides that he made on that end were huge, but he's still prone to just kind of losing focus from time to time, not always giving a hundred percent effort. Um, and those are the types of things that will not fly on a Chris Paul team. So this is kind of a big moment of maturing for Aiton um, to see whether the kind of, you know, because Chris Paul, he demands excellence from everyone around him. He makes his teammates better, but you know, that kind of style can be abrasive to some. So this is a moment where Aiton needs to kind of grow up a little bit when, you know, that first time that Chris Paul barks at him or something like that, he's going to have to take it and take it in stride and realize he's just doing it to make him better and learn from it. Um, and I think another player that could be in line for a statistical jump is Cam Johnson. Yeah. Um, I think Jay Crowder is probably going to start as a small ball four, but Cam Johnson was really good in the bubble at that four spot and with Mikhail Bridges alongside him on the wing, like that wing tandem was very good. And the shooting that he provides is really big for the sun spacing. So um, I think Crowder is better defensively. He can guard bigger, stronger guys. Um, and his shooting last year in Miami was really good. But if that shooting kind of tails off and the offense stalls a little bit, I, I think we'll see Cam take over that starting spot again and uh, give the Suns 
you know, some extra shooting and with both Booker and Paul capable of finding him on the wing, like he's just a guy you can't give an inch of space to. So I, I think with the leap that we saw from him in the bubble, he's, he's probably primed for another one this coming season. What is adding CP3 due to the perception of the franchise in Phoenix? Because we've seen what they're me and Jeff are Knicks fans, and we've yeah. seen that what dysfunction does to a franchise. We saw the Eric Bledsoe stuff, what happened, how he tweeted how he wanted out of there, and how Phoenix signed Tyson Chandler to try and get Lamarcus Aldridge to go there. That was obviously previous regime, but a lot of dysfunctional stuff has been marred by the franchise recently. And that's part of the reason the Knicks thought about bringing Chris Paul. So what kind of impact do you think Chris Paul has on the franchise in that way? Gerald, we heard that laugh. You don't have to hide it. We, <laughs> yeah, no, we, no, no, Chip, no. You know, we're, 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 uh, we're just waiting for the next rebuild. We're just hoping for the next savior. Who knows? Well, right. And see, that's the funny thing is like Suns fans hadn't been in that same void for as long as Knicks fans have mm. been. But it, it was starting to feel very similar where there was very little hope of anything turning around because even the good players that they would draft, like, you know, it was so dysfunctional. You just felt like as soon as they could spread their wings and fly elsewhere, they would. Um, so this is and I was, it's kind of funny because I was talking on another podcast last week about the Knicks and the Suns and the similarities there. And he was asking me how the Knicks can hope to rebuild. And I was saying, well, honestly, you just need to hit on a draft pick right. that's like a Devin Booker, like someone that he's going to get this unfair reputation of being a guy who puts up good numbers on losing teams and he's not a real winner. But then when he finally starts to get some talent around him, it attracts more talent. And this was kind of the first breakthrough moment where the Suns actually got someone. I mean, they traded for him, obviously, but you know, the Thunder weren't going to trade Chris Paul somewhere where he wasn't going to be happy. So the fact that he could reunite with Monty Williams, that he could play with Devin Booker, that he could kind of help out this young team that, um, you know, would be a, hopefully a step ahead of where the Thunder were last year with his help, um, that's big. And that's that's part of the reason why they were able to attract more veteran talent as free agency continued to play out was because they got a guy like Chris Paul. So it kind of signals that there's a new culture in Phoenix, you know, between the 8-0 and the bubble that was just, they were the story of the bubble. They were a lot of fun. Um, everybody finally got to see, you know, Devin Booker, if you put help around him, he's actually pretty good. Now they've got a guy like Chris Paul that's well-respected. They've got Jay Crowder and other veterans coming to join them. Like these are things that were unheard of in Phoenix for, you know, 10 years since Steve Nash left, basically. So, um, this, this is a big turnaround moment for the franchise. They're not title contenders, obviously, yet, but they're on the right path to just getting back to the playoffs and giving these youngsters their first bite at, at playoff experience. I think, um, you know, the only... If I have to play some type of devil's advocate, uh, and it's a small one, just because... Um, Chris Paul is is the the best and and biggest hired gun right now in the NBA in terms of if you want to turn your franchise around. Um, the only downside I can possibly see is that the OKC Thunder were 22nd in pace last year. Uh, the Suns were 10th. Chris Paul is obviously not flight of foot. Are you concerned in any way at all that the addition of Paul might affect 
the the pace and um, somehow alter. I can't. I'm, I wouldn't say hurt because I can't see it possibly hurting the offense. But do you think it'll alter it in a way that maybe um, multiple players have to adjust in a way that is not necessarily within their comfort zone? I mean, I think the pace could slow down a little bit, but um, so far in the off season, James Jones and Monty Williams have both been pretty clear about you know they were targeting guys who could come in and fit the system that they run, which they call the 0.5 offense, which is basically you have 0.5 seconds to make a decision as to whether you're going to pass it, shoot it, or put the ball on the floor and do something with it. Um, so it's very rapid decision-based. Um, and that's something where Chris Paul, even if he slows down the tempo a little bit like he did in OKC, like they did in Houston, um, he can still fit into that. Um, so I, I think the tempo will slow down a little bit, but I think – just given because Booker is a very good mid range oh, yeah. scorer, and Chris Paul is one of the best in the league. So, when you got two guys like that that can create their own shot at any given time, and you've surrounded them with a better cast of shooters than last season when they were about league average, um, that's a pretty efficient offense, even if the pace slows down. So, I, I think it'll still be an up tempo offense, but they'll also. You know they'll stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker a little bit. Um, they'll they'll give them some different looks, and, and we've got to keep in mind, you know, in a seventy-two game season where these guys haven't had the full off season that they're used to, and that was after taking four and a half months off. Um, given Chris Paul's age and injury history, it wouldn't surprise me if he misses, you know, his customary ten to fifteen games a year. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I think they'll. They'll slow it down a little bit for him so he's not putting too much tread on the tires there. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think they'll change too much of the offense because he, he could be a natural fit for it. Yeah, and I don't think he is uh, wants to dominate the ball quite as much as he used to, like when he was with the Clippers. If, if last year is any indication of that, he was more than willing to let SGA take over at times and Schroeder too. I mean, when it... When push came to shove, it was, all right, everybody get out of the way. I'm running the show. But, like, for the most part, during the game, he was more than willing to hand things over. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean, he doesn't need to dominate the ball like Russell Westbrook is what is my point. Yeah, no, he definitely doesn't. He's, he's proven in the past few years along James Harden, alongside SGA last year. He's capable of playing that off-ball role, um, you know, like you said, when push comes to shove, late game situations, he won't hesitate to take over. But, um, you know, he he also, I think he recognizes that Devin Booker is a few steps further along than a guy like SGA. So that might actually save him a little bit of uh, mental and, and physical grief there because he's used to having to do what he has to do with the game on the line, which we saw in the playoffs and in the bubble. Um and now he's joining a guy who's kind of used to doing that on some very bad teams, having to carry an enormous load by himself, especially late in games. So um, I think that's going to be mutually beneficial for both of them. Um, there'll probably be a little bit of a feeling out process with two guys that like to take over late in games. But, um, you know, from where I'm sitting, that's a good problem to have. It's very good. We say that on this yeah. podcast a lot. I feel yeah. like it's a good problem to have <laughs> when all these teams pick up too much talent. That's, yeah. It's one of those good problems. Uh, when you have a guy agree. who averaged, Devin Booker averaged 30 and a half points 
on 50% shooting in the bubble. That was an, an insane run like that. But that leads to, I wanted to also ask you, the over-unders just came out for each team, and the, the Suns over-under was uh, 37 and a half. So I, I wanted to ask you what you considered a success for Phoenix this year in terms of win total and even if you want to go into playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would probably take the over there. I think um, just people in Phoenix, Suns fans, people that cover the team are a little more bullish on this team just because it was hard not to buy into what they were doing in the bubble. Um, I know a lot of people were excited about it, but at the end of the day, it's also like an eight-game sample size. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I think that, and it's hard because it's a 72-game season, so the numbers are a little bit off there. Um, I think they would want to aim for probably 40 wins or so, which during a regular 82-game season would be about 45 or 46 wins. Um, and, and I think they could get there. I really think, you know, Booker is still only he's about to turn – or he just turned 24. Um, Aiton has another leap or two left in him still in entering his third year. Mikhail Bridges is a guy that goes overlooked, and he's about to be an all-defensive team talent. Um, and then Cam Johnson, his shooting, you add in Chris Paul, you add in a guy like Jay Crowder, you add in some depth, which could be very important because we're, we're talking about this pandemic season. Like We've seen what's happened to the NFL, to the MLB, when they don't have a bubble, like guys are going to be out of the lineup. You're going to need depth. The Suns helped themselves in that regard by getting guys like Langston Galloway and Etwan Moore, you know, not sexy signings, but guys that can play and could be second or third string. So that could come up big for them. Um, but, but I think they'd probably aim for around 40 wins, um, you know, five or six seed in the West. I think that would be a really good start for them this season. Um, you know, they keep saying they're aiming a lot higher than that. Their goal is to win a championship, but you know, obviously we know on the outside, it, it doesn't just happen or click like that overnight. So I think that'd be a really good way to bounce back into the playoff picture in a very competitive Western conference. Yeah. I, uh, I, I saw that on Reddit yesterday and it, it took me by surprise a little bit that, uh, James Jones, I mean, tech, I, I, I guess he kind of, um, kind of guarded himself a little bit he said that the fans should expect that uh that we should you know be be playing for a championship or or something like that but um mm-hmm. you know it's 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 interesting that you know they they went kind of that high with it but um it also probably speaks to the fact that you know they have a young star who they want to entice as much as possible to for him to feel like this is where the best years of your career are going to be in Phoenix, and look at what we've done. We brought in Chris Paul, we brought in Jay Crowder, uh, we brought in um, you know a little bit more veteran firepower, and uh, and we're gonna raise the expectations because we believe that you're one of the best players in the NBA. Um, but I wanted to go back really quickly to DeAndre Ayton. Um, he's a fascinating player for me, and uh, particularly I kind of want to draw this a little bit to. Uh, a tie with the Knicks a little. Uh, they're very they're different players, but we just drafted Obi Toppin, right? I'm I'm a big Obi Toppin fan. I know that there was a whole bunch of people on draft Twitter and Knicks Twitter that weren't necessarily fans of the pick, uh, and most likely the reasons were due to his defense. So 
covering the Suns for as long as you have, and and especially um, since DeAndre's career as a Sun, uh, it it you know I I will say this: it does seem it does concern me a little bit when you have an offensive big that is so gifted like Aiton or like Obi Toppin perceivably could be in the NBA, but. Um, and then even with a really great scorer like Devin Booker, can't the, that production can't translate into wins. Um, so I, I guess the question I want to ask you about Aiton specifically is, based on your coverage of the team, his inefficiencies in defense, do you feel that they were more due to uh, a lack of desire, um, focus, or... Um, anything related to the schemes, maybe the coaching staff can be using him a little bit differently. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to start there with, with Aiton. Yeah, I, I think with Aiton, and this was the big concern coming into the draft as well as a prospect coming out of Arizona was he had all the physical tools yeah. in the world to be an elite defender, rim protector, um, you know, laterally quick, explosive leaper, like, you know, seven footer, <laughs> like this dude's built like a Greek God. Right. But he just didn't, he would just lose focus or he just wouldn't have the effort that was needed there or he just wasn't aware. Um, and part of that just kind of comes with his mindset. You know, I, I don't want to call him immature. But, you know, he, he's got a more playful attitude. Like, he takes things seriously, but you have to kind of ramp up his intensity to get him there first. Okay. Um, so he, he's not your typical number one, or at least what you would hope your typical number one draft pick would look like as far as, you know, you draft that guy to be your franchise leader, to be mentally tough, to be the guy that just galvanizes the rest of the team. That's not really what happened with the Suns and Aiton and that's okay because they already have Devin Booker who plays like that all the time um but I, I think with his defensive struggles it's it's more of a mental thing and that was what was good about last season was you know he's still not an elite defender but he showed signs of being a capable one who can play in playoff games which is all that really matters in the big picture um, because if he's one of those bigs that's getting played off the floor, like Clint Capella or, or someone like that, or like Rudy Gobert, even against the Rockets all the time, um, that's, that could come up to hurt you in playoff series could hurt your title aspirations. But, you know, he showed a lot as far as he's got the foot speed to stick with guys. Like they put him directly on Giannis and LeBron in back-to-back games last year and he held his own. He mm. did very well. Um, you know, obviously he didn't put the clamps on them because there's no putting the clamps on guys like that. But I, I'm pretty sure the Suns won both of those games and Aiton was very good defensively in each one of them. So um, he's, he's got the tools and he's starting to put them together. He's still young. He still needs to mentally grow up a little bit. But that is the good news. With Obi Toppin, I, I think the the concern is is the lack of ability more so than focus. Um you know, there are, there are a lot of clips where he's just not aware of what's going right. on and that can be, right. you can fine tune that with film study and stuff like that. And they will. Um, but the good news with Toppin is that he's not, you know, you don't need him to be a rim protector yeah, or a defense baker. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is the good news. Um, 
and you hope that the offense kind of just overshadows that, even if he is a minus defender or, or just an average defender there. Gerald, were you covering the Suns when Aiton was drafted? I was. Yeah. Do you? What do you remember about like the draft process there? Was there ever any doubt that he was going to be the guy? Um. <laughs> see, I I don't think there was doubt because I was me and a couple of other Suns people were very gung-ho about Luca because mm-hmm. if you watched him play, if you did your homework, it was pretty clear who the number one prospect should have been. Yeah. But because of the Arizona connection, because of all this hoopla about, well, the Suns have never had like a, a franchise center like this before. Like they had Shaq for a year and that was pretty much as good as it got <laughs> for the Suns ever. Like there was just all of this pressure directed towards drafting DeAndre Ayton and Ryan McDonough, like, let's be honest, he was not good at his job. He took a guy who, to be fair, could be a perennial all-star, could wind up being a piece on a championship team. It's it's kind of for Suns fans, you're hoping that he is the Hakeem Olajuwon to Luka's Jordan. Like the Rockets took Hakeem before Jordan, but they did the right thing because they wound up winning two titles. They got two titles out of it. They got an MVP, a defensive player of the year. Like they don't regret that pick. The Suns are hoping for something similar because Luca is going to be, I mean, he looks like he's going to be one of the greatest players to ever play. And that in and of itself is a, is a draft miss. But if Aiton plays a role on a championship team, then you know what? Maybe you can get away with that. So um, I think it was very obvious to everyone here that Aiton was going to be the pick. And there was a lot of fear for those of us who watched Luca play and were like, why are they not taking the best player on the board? Um, but, you know, there, there's still high hopes for him. And he does have a very bright future. It's just maybe not as bright as a guy who might win an MVP in the next two years. At least they didn't take Bagley. That is very <laughs> true. <Yeah. laughs> they could be the Kings. That is very true. You know, since we were talking about draft, I figured um, I would ask you this. We before we started recording, we talked very briefly that you know uh, Jalen Smith, the selection of Jalen Smith, would probably be one of the topics tonight. And I was going back over some of uh, the articles that you write uh, for the step back, and um, you mentioned really the importance and the urgency that the Suns should try to have in finding the point guard of the future. Um, and you reference, you know, Killian Hayes, who I know Chip really liked Killian Hayes a lot, Kara Lewis Jr., who I really liked a lot. Uh, Grant Riller was something, somebody that we both liked, and uh, Chip and I were fortunate enough to speak with one of the assistant coaches uh, from that, that Charleston team, Devin Vassell. So is it safe to say that you were disappointed with the Jalen Smith selection, especially when most mock drafts had him, you know, further down in the first round? Right. It was uh, it was kind of like Cam Johnson all over again the year before. Um, it's becoming a staple in the uh, James Jones regime of like just not, you know, Cam Johnson worked out. So I'm going to give Jalen Smith, you know, his chance to prove himself. But at the same time, it was a weird pick, especially with uh, Tyrese Halliburton still on the board. Like that would have been a phenomenal pick for the Suns. That would have been somebody that could learn from Chris Paul, could play alongside Chris Paul or Devin Booker, right. either position. 
Um, that guy is just kind of a winner who does good things that good teams need to win games. Um, I, I thought when he was there, just like I thought the year before when Brandon Clark was there at number 11 after the Suns traded down, that it was the no-brainer pick. It was definitely going to happen. Suns were going to win the draft. And then the Suns pick a guy who wasn't slated to be picked until five to ten picks later. <laughs> so it was uh, it was kind of a shock. But Cam Johnson, you know, God bless him, he was phenomenal. Maybe not as good as Brandon Clark, but he's going to be a very good player and he's going to serve a purpose on this team. Um, Jalen Smith, I have a harder time seeing it just because I don't know what position he plays at the NBA. If he plays a four, you know, does he fit next to DeAndre Ayton? And if he's a five, did they just spend the top 10 pick on a backup for DeAndre Ayton? Like that doesn't track either. So it's going to be interesting to see where he fits in. Um, you're hoping to give James Jones the benefit of the doubt because the Cam Johnson pick worked out, but, um, you know, at the same time, Brandon Clark would have been a very good fit next to Aiton and uh, Tyrese Halliburton would have been a very good fit for the backcourt. So these are definitely things that some of us in the Suns draft world are going to be keeping an eye on over these next few years to see how all those players pan out. I would love to be a, a fly on the wall in, in some of these war rooms and just like the decision-making process. I know we all would, but I saw something on Twitter today especially that made me think of this because um, – there was some, and again, I don't know if it's a fact or not. It could very well be a rumor, but there was some graphic going around Twitter where I think the analytics uh, department in Utah had Udoka Azubuki as like the number two overall uh, top rated pick. And I wonder like if the Suns also were like, listen, Jake, we think Jalen Smith is a top three or top five pick or whatever. And so that's why they selected him. I don't know. I don't think it was a rumor. I think Dennis Lindsay actually said it. Wow. I'm pretty sure he said yeah. that their analytics department or their draft team had him ranked way up there. Um, and that's <laughs> yeah. the reason they took him. But that's my thing with both the Cam Johnson pick and the Jalen Smith pick for the Suns is if he's your guy, he's probably like, no offense. He's not a lot of other guys, a lot of yeah. other teams right. guy. Right. So like, value your asset trade down to where you can still get him maybe yeah. get an extra asset out of it like they could have traded down for cam johnson i think they wound up trading uh to 20 something to get ty jerome in that same draft and they probably could have gotten cam johnson at that spot um you have a top 10 pick in this year's draft admittedly it's a weaker draft class but even if you don't like Devin Vassell or Tyrese Halliburton, like you can still trade down a few spots. Jalen Smith wasn't projected to go like until 15 to 20, somewhere in that range. Yep. So, um, you know, maybe he did, maybe there weren't any deals available. You never know, but it is interesting because like when he sees his guy, he'll just go for it and he won't care what anyone else thinks. Mm. Uh, Gerald, the, the, in, in talking about the offseason um, and free agents specifically, the Suns also added, which we mentioned before, Jay Crowder, uh, Langston Galloway, a former Nick shout-out right there, uh, Etwan Moore. Uh, Crowder had some really great playoff games for the Heat, but hasn't really been much of a reliable shooter uh, for some time. But you still get the feeling that he will play an important part to the team. Uh, overall, how do you feel about, again, some of the ancillary moves that the Suns made this offseason? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people were kind of hoping for like another big name like a Serge Ibaka or a Danilo Gallinari or, you know, even a shooter like Davis Bertans. But um, I actually really like the Jay Crowder move. And I, and I think the Phoenix fan base is pretty high on it, too, just because that's, a, you know, between him and Chris Paul, those are two mentally strong dudes that do not take crap from anybody. Um and this is a young team that's going to annoy a lot of people as it is just because Devin Booker is that type of competitor as well. Um, so you've got a lot of attitude on this team. You've got a lot of mental toughness now. Um, Jay Crowder has a lot of physical strength as well. He's just a burly guy who can play, you know, the three, the four. Monty Williams even said he envisions him playing some small ball five if the situation calls for it. So I really like that. They, they seem very convinced about his three-point shooting. Um, you know, he shot 44.5% from three last year. But like you said, it's been very inconsistent. You know, the years before that, he was hovering around, you know, 32 to 34%. So it'll be interesting to see if that shooting holds up in a system that will get him good looks. Um, but I really like that move. Like I mentioned earlier with Galloway and with Moore, those are guys that can play a number of positions as well. They can slot in with a couple of different lineups and they're going to have to, because you know, we're the NBA is not going to be playing inside a bubble anymore. There's going to be cases. There's going to be guys shut down for a week or two or however long the NBA deems it. So having that kind of depth is going to be huge for their rotation. Um, And a lot of the guys that they added are all, you know, in addition to being switchable at multiple positions, a lot of them can shoot really well. Like Etwan Moore is a good shooter. Langston Galloway is a good yeah. shooter. These are all guys that can spread the floor. And for years, the, the recurring theme in Phoenix has been, if we could just get some shooters around Devin Booker, that's going to be a really good offense. And now it's kind of finally coming into place. They didn't shoot as well last year as a lot of people expected. Um, but you know, Mikhail Bridges has been working on his shot after that weird hitch that developed over the last year or two. He's kind of ironed that out a little bit more. Cam Johnson is a sniper. Javon Carter was actually, I think the best shooter on the team percentage wise. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that shooting pans out, especially when you have not one, but two really good playmakers between Booker and Chris Paul to help, help feed those guys. You brought up Mikael Bridges, and me and Jeff are really high on him too. And he had kind of a breakout year last year, especially defensively. What do you see as his ceiling? Do you see him as like an all-defensive player, maybe defensive player of the year type guy? I do. I I think he's, you know, it's hard to get that kind of acclaim when you're still a sub-500 team and when your defense is, you know, bottom half of the league. But if the Suns take a step in that department this year, if they're a playoff team, if they have even a league average defense, you're going to see Mikael Bridges start to get all defensive team recognition because he's already that good. Like he's he's just a disruptor with those lanky arms of his. He's like Gumby out there. Like he can get his hands on anything. Um, and he locked down in the bubble too a number of very good players. Like he... I think Luca went off for like 40 points against the Suns or something like that, but almost, I can't remember what the statistical breakdown was, but like 80% of those points were against other Suns players compared to the points he actually scored on bridges. Um, he shut down Kawhi Leonard. Like he's, and, and that 
you know, the unforgettable play of the bubble for the Suns was Devin Booker's game winner. But a lot of people forget that it was Bridges' deflected pass when the Clippers got the rebound that led to that Booker shot. So he does a lot of things that don't always show up on the stat sheet. And it's so cliche, but with a defensive guy like that who can guard multiple positions, who doesn't mind playing the four, and who has the length, maybe not the strength, but the length at least to contest those shots on bigger guys, um, he'll start getting more recognition for it as the Suns become um, you know, more nationally televised, more recognizable to a, a bigger audience. And made 51% of his shots last year, too. That was yeah, not huge. bad. Yeah. <laughs> not bad not huge. Bad <laughs> if, if he can get back to his, you know, 38 to 40% shooting that he showed at Villanova, like, he's going to be a very, very good two-way player. Um, you know, he's only shot 33.5% as a rookie. He bumped it up to 36% last year and, and kind of ironed out some of the kinks with his shot and that weird hitch that he developed. But if he continues to to follow that trajectory, he he could be he could be very, very good. Yeah, could could be one of the guys who benefits most from uh CP3 being there too. Yeah, absolutely. Gerald, what do you think the starting lineup will be on opening night? Um, I think it's gonna be Paul, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, and Aiton. Um, I, I think Cam Johnson will come off the bench, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they actually did roll with Bridges and Cam Johnson and brought Crowder off the bench. I, I think Crowder will get the start just because, you know, they signed him to a, a $30 million deal, brought him in here, um, and he's coming off a very good season with a team that went to the finals. So right. he has that going for him as well. And they're, they're in no rush to, you know, get cam those minutes they know they're going to come but uh that that's probably what i would project for opening night and he he got a three-year deal uh for them right yes okay um chip do you have any other sons questions for gerald i do i want to talk about dario saric at least because there was if there was one move that i saw any sort of criticism for the sons about and i wouldn't even say criticism mild criticism it would be bring back Dario Saric for three years, 27 million. So I wanted to ask you uh, what your take was on bringing Dario back. Yeah. I mean, I actually really like that move. And I, I think it's because of, again, you hate to buy too much into an eight game sample size, but based on what we saw in the bubble with him coming off the bench, he was huge for their second unit. I mean, they had a lot of guys that stepped up like Javon Carter and campaign were just wreaking havoc. Um, but Sharich was arguably their best bench player and their best playmaker off the bench as well. Um, he kind of is the Mikhail Bridges of the second unit as far as this glue guy that kind of does a little bit of everything to help out. You know, obviously not the kind of stout defender that Bridges is, but he adds playmaking, he adds shooting as a stretch big. Um, he's just a smart guy who can help ground that second unit and get offense and defense out of it. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're re-signing him to expect him to be a starter, that would have been a bad move. But as a bench player, yeah, maybe he's making a little more money than you would like. But um, I, I thought that would kind of put a feather in the cap of a very good offseason, just bringing him back, making sure that they retain that front court depth as a guy who can play um, as a stretch four or as a small ball five, as he did in the bubble a lot of the time, and, and actually held his own very well when he played against bigger players there. Awesome. I, 
I thought it was a good value contract. I mean, com- compared, like, you look at the Mason Plumley contract, he got $25 million from the Pistons, and he's going to be coming off the bench, and that was Banana's deal there. So, and then, yeah, I, I thought, good deal. He's Sarge looked great for them. So, and I'm a big fan of his. And he, like you said, he stretches the floor for them, and that's you. They just have, God, they, you, I was thinking about that when you said that they're, I can't imagine a lineup of theirs that won't have at least three shooters on the floor. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. James Jones definitely, he targeted his types of players, the mentally tough dudes, the bulldogs, the guys that can shoot, um, the guys that can play multiple positions. So he's, he's given, like you were, like we've been talking about, he's given Monty Williams a good problem to have as far as trying to figure out which lineups work best when there are so many different options to choose from. But, um, you know, there's just so much shooting on this team. There's a lot of smart basketball players, a lot of tough basketball players, um, and a lot of guys with skill sets that, you know, either complement each other or help make up for some of the other's deficiencies. So um, it, it's it's easy to be bullish on this team right now. We'll, we'll see if that holds up because the Suns have felt cursed for the last 10 years. We'll see if they actually live up to expectations for the first time in a decade. But, um, yeah, this is about as good as you've felt as a Suns fan since the 2010 Western Conference Finals, probably. For sure. Um, Gerald, before we wrap up, unless, Chip, uh, you let me know if you have another one. But before we wrap up, uh, Gerald, I wanted to ask you a completely non-basketball related question. Was looking through your Twitter and I saw that uh, you're a fan <laughs> yeah. of Fargo. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I'm a big fan of the show as well. I have not seen season four. Um, so without any spoilers, can you at least tell me if it's better than season three? Um, what, what do I have to look forward to for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it. Uh, I think it's better than season three. All right, that's I good. I think, I think it kind of suffers from some of the same problems that season three did. Um, there, there are a lot of great characters, a lot of great performances, but there's just too many narrative threads that are only like loosely tied together, and yeah. it doesn't really have the same impact as the first two seasons, which were, you know, some of my favorites. Amazing. Those were, the first two seasons were great, but uh, the last two. They've been entertaining. It's still very good television. It's just not uh, It's not peak Fargo. Right. I mean, I remember watching uh, Ewan McGregor's uh, performance in season three and mm-hmm. really feeling like just what you said. I'm like, wow, this is really amazing acting, especially the way he's playing two different characters. But as a whole, the storyline just didn't grab me the way that season one and season two did. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's a lot more more interesting things that happen in this season. Cause I felt like in season three, there wasn't a lot of just like things that happen. Like yeah. I couldn't really, I, I could tell you that there was like fraud, like financial fraud going on <laughs> that there were two Ewan McGregor's, but other than right. that, I couldn't really, <laughs> like I can't even remember what really not, happened. Not too memorable. Yeah. And this yeah. season is a little more memorable, but you know, the Chris rock casting didn't really do it for me. And okay. it, it's just kind of uh He's not bad in it. It's just different. I don't know. It's still yeah. good, though. It's just not the same. Yeah, I didn't watch the third or fourth season. I watched the first two, and I, I just remember there was a crazy amount of buzz around the first two seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah. a crazy amount of buzz. And even when this one came back, 
there wasn't as much buzz as there was with the first two. And the third one, there was hardly any yeah. buzz about that one at all. Yeah, it, it honestly kind of fell off a little bit. I think they, you know, broadened their scope a little bit too much and need to hone it because that was kind of season one is still my favorite. You could definitely make oh, the case yeah. for season two, but season one is my favorite just because it's such a tight and compact story. It's so dark, like Martin Freeman and Billy Bob Thornton are both great in that season. Um, they, I think they need to kind of just narrow the focus back down to that sort of dark humor that balance that they struck in the first season was still my favorite. Yeah. So is this not the last season? I thought they were ending it after this one. I'm actually not sure. I I know that this season was delayed forever because of the pandemic and everything. Um, You know, it critically it's done. Okay. It's kind of the same as season three, like it's good television, but not great. So I don't know if it's done for good, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they gave it another crack for season five. Hmm. Definitely something to watch. I'll be, I mean, I'll be sure to check it out just because I, I like the other seasons, but it's going to be hard to replicate that magic. Um, but, uh, Gerald, listen, I uh, want to thank you so much for coming on uh, tonight and talking Phoenix Suns. Uh, Chip and I, uh, in addition to watching every single Knicks game possible, we are always looking for <laughs> other teams that – um, you know, we kind of root for a little bit on the side. I think the Phoenix Suns will definitely be one of those teams for sure. We would, I Chip, I think I could say this. I think you feel this the same way. Like we, we clearly want them to be in the top eight in the West. I mean, right? Of course, as much Chris Paul as possible. And and Gerald, this would be the even the best part. Not only if you guys make the playoffs, but if you can somehow make sure that the Mavericks don't make the playoffs, <laughs> and and our draft pick increases because of this. I mean, we oh, would really true. be we would be lifelong friends, Gerald. I mean, we, we really <laughs> would. Yeah, no, that that's that's fair, and especially the whole Porzingis angle and everything. Yeah, I, I got yeah. you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but listen, before uh, we let you go, um, if you could tell anyone that's listening where they can find you on Twitter, where they can read your work, and if there is something that you're working on right now uh, that you'd like to promote, please do so. Yeah, um, you can find my work at uh, fansided.com slash NBA, uh, the step back basically. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Gerald Borgay, G-E-R-A-L-D-B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. I actually do have my my regular Twitter account back after a brief six weeks of being hacked by United Arab Emirates financial traders so <laughs> i i, um, it's I read, nice to be back <laughs> i read something really briefly about that and i was like there's, i was like there's no way this is true i was like this is crazy but that that oh, legit yeah. really happened that's crazy I, I feel terrible for you yeah I got, I got hacked about seven weeks ago and uh then my account got sold to some youtube or some twitch streamer streaming Fortnite, some kid named ziwio <laughs> and then it got traded to some woman overseas who was just tweeting stuff in Arabic about like my DMs are still packed. Wow. All all Arabic and it's all like fraud, like sign up for this thing. And I've got like angry people responding to me in Arabic and I'm like, I'm sorry. I, my account (laughs) is back. Like it wasn't me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So that was nuts. But yeah, my account is back so you can follow me there. Um, if you would like, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't do the, trader info anymore but. <laughs> <laughs> unintended consequence of getting back to your day job right um, exactly 
But hey, I mean, on the bright side, at least that means that, you know, whoever wanted to hack your account at least wanted to hack an account that had a following and somebody would want to, I assume, purchase for, oh, yeah. you know, that's, I guess that that's, you know, maybe a, a small little piece of the pie, nice thing going on there. But, you know, overall, yeah, I, I know my account sold for $125 because okay. the, pers- the person who hacked it, uh, I, re- I posted something on my Instagram the night that it happened. Like someone hacked my Twitter and this person responded to it like, Oh wow, that sucks. And I looked at his story and it's just all verified accounts that he's hacked and he's like auctioning them off on his Instagram page wow. for money. Yeah. I found some weird black market that I had no idea existed. <laughs> I mean the wild world of Twitter. That is, um, that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Um, but listen, for anyone listening, uh, please give Gerald a follow on Twitter, read all of his work at the step back. Uh, Gerald, once again, really appreciate you being nice enough to come on and talk with us tonight. Uh, we are always trying to develop relationships with, uh, writers and connections so that when something does, something big does happen and me and Chip want to get on and talk about it, uh, you're the first guy we're reaching out to when it comes to the Phoenix Suns. So thanks again for coming on tonight. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for having me on tonight. Awesome. Um, And for everybody else listening, we hope you guys are staying safe and we will talk to you soon.